I'm going to turn to God's Word now. We're going to be opening up to Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we'll be reading verses 15 to 22. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 22. Listen to the word of God. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die." And if you say in your heart, how, went, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing now as we come to his word. Lord, we pray now that you would make your word effectual in our lives to salvation, to growth and holiness, to all that we need. Lord, we pray boldly that you would bless this preaching of your word to our eternal good. And we pray this for your glory and for our good. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, our sermon comes from 1 Samuel chapter 3. That's 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'll be reading the whole chapter together this evening. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had began to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, 
for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew And the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. It's one of the great privileges of our lives as Christians to have God's word in our own language. Uh, We just read an entire chapter in a good translation from our own personal copies of God's Word. And if you're like me, you probably didn't even think about it. That's completely normal for us. I was actually reminded this past week of the joy that Bible translators describe when a new people group finally has the Bible in their own language. And the people can discover for themselves what God says. Many of them have believed based on what they've heard, maybe from a missionary or from somebody else, but they want more. They want all of God's word. There was a similar issue going on in Samuel's day. Faithful believers like Elkanah and Hannah and others, they had a lot of God's word, but they needed more. Then they didn't just need a translation. No, they needed God to actually speak more to reveal more about himself and his will for them. And we see in 1 Samuel 3 that God met his people's need by choosing Samuel to be his prophet. It's really what leads us to the main point here, that God speaks again to his people through his chosen prophet to guide and to bless them. That God speaks again through his chosen prophet to guide and to bless his people. To look at this passage, then we'll see Three points, we'll see silence and hope in verses 1 through 3. We'll see the prophet and his message, verses 4 to 18. And finally, we'll see the prophet of the Lord in verses 19 to 21. So let's begin with silence and hope. This is how the passage opens in these first couple of verses. You can see, especially in verse 1 and going on, you can see that these verses are setting the scene for God calling Samuel. Now, we know where the story is going. We just, we just read it. So we know that God is going to call Samuel and establish him to be his prophet. But it's important to slow down and see these details to really understand just how gracious God's call of Samuel really is. Look at verse 1. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, 
And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. As we saw last week, as we looked at chapter 2, this statement about Samuel is not just a footnote that he is serving the Lord in the presence of Eli. No, Samuel's faithfulness in serving God in the midst of the great sin that was happening at Shiloh was a ray of hope that God would act to restore his worship and his people. But this opening verse presents another issue. There has been rampant sin, but there has also been God's silence. The Lord did not speak frequently to his people. In fact, if you think about it, the last regular prophet that God had sent was Moses. That was almost 300 years before the time of Samuel. Now, we know God wasn't completely silent. He sent some of his prophets during the time of the judges. We saw a man of God confront Eli in chapter 2. So God hadn't completely abandoned his people. It wasn't quite the famine of God's word that we see, for instance, in the prophet Amos. But God's people still needed more of God's word. Verses 2 to 3 then zoom in on the night of Samuel's calling. Here we meet the man who is going to be God's prophet. And I think these verses are doing more than just introducing the main characters. This is a more than just who was it, where were they, what time was it, the kinds of things you'd almost expect a detective or somebody else to ask. It's not just setting the scene. It's actually giving us symbolism and hope. Think about the symbolism in this passage. There's blind Eli. Eli is physically blind, but he's not just blind in his eyes. He is blind to so many things of God. Chapter 2 showed us that very clearly, that he saw the sin of his sons and he let it go. Much of Israel is actually spiritually blind like Eli. We move from blind Eli in his own place, camera pans, And there is Samuel, faithful Samuel, sleeping in the temple of the Lord. And as the text reminds us, this is the place where the ark of God was. That's not a throwaway line. Remember that the ark was where God dwelt with his people. God was still there among his people. Hope is not lost for Israel if God is present and powerful. And God acts now as the present and powerful covenant God to call Samuel, this young boy, to be his prophet. So what we see secondly is we see the prophet and his message. The Lord actually calls Samuel four times. Did you notice that? It's verse 4, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. And the first three times, Samuel thinks Eli is calling And we see the reason for Samuel's confusion in verse 7. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Uh, You might remember in chapter 2, a similar thing was said of Eli's sons, that they did not know the Lord either. But unlike Eli's sons, Samuel was faithful, and he did believe in the Lord. But Samuel did not yet have that deep relationship with the Lord that came from being God's prophet. If we compare 
Samuel here to later in the book, for instance, when Israel asks for a, prop, asks for a king, we see a great difference in his relationship with God. Here he doesn't even know God's voice. There, First King, or First Samuel chapter 8, we see Samuel almost having a conversation, a back and forth with God in a similar way that we see in the life of Moses. Samuel does not know God's voice. I want you to think about this for a minute. Here is Samuel. He's being called time and, a t- time and again by God. And he doesn't even know it. And yet, we see the character of God because God continues to call this boy to serve him. We see the patience and grace of God in the calling of Samuel. God doesn't give up on Samuel when he doesn't recognize what's going on. Right? He keeps calling him to serve him. And notice he even uses a flawed but still sometimes faithful Eli in that process. It is Eli who realizes that the Lord is calling Samuel. Isn't that amazing? Eli is still useful. This is the patience and grace of God. When we have trouble listening to God, each each one of us has trouble listening to God, aren't you glad that he is patient and persistent with us, sometimes to point us toward that open door of ministry or of service that he's calling us for, sometimes to just continue to open our heart, to show us where our sins are, and to call us to greater obedience. We have a patient and gracious God who continues to call us. But when God calls us, we need to submit to that call and be ready for what he says. We see that in the life of Samuel. Samuel submits to God's call in verse 10. He says, here I am, your servant hears. And what a message he hears. What a message he receives. It is another judgment against Eli and his house. Similar to what God has already said in chapter 2, Eli and his sons and actually all of his descendants are being judged because Eli let his sons blaspheme God and did very little to stop them. So as God speaks to Samuel, he is confirming his word again. But he actually goes further here by stressing the seriousness of the judgment. Look at verse 14. There is no hope for this judgment to be reversed because there is no hope for atonement for these sins. There are many, many times in the prophets that God proclaims judgment, but then he promises to relent if the people will repent and serve him. You may remember something like that when we were looking at the book of Jonah. Jonah pronounces judgment, but he also knows that if the people repent, God will turn and be gracious even to the Ninevites. But that is not true in the case of Eli and his family. They have blasphemed God by corrupting his worship. They have slapped him in the face in front of the people, and God will not forgive them. Why is this message of irreversible judgment Samuel's first message from God? I mean, wouldn't something nicer have been in order to kind of ease Samuel into the role of being God's prophet? Maybe a, a nice message of blessing or God's going to be present here and something like that. 
No, God gives him one of the hardest messages that he could ever hear and deliver. Samuel is actually learning from this. From the very beginning of his ministry, important lessons. One of them stands out immediately. Those who reject God will be rejected by God. Unfortunately, we're going to see this again. Samuel is going to see this again in the life of King Saul and proclaim a very similar message to Saul, that you have turned your back on God and God is taking the kingdom away from you. You have rejected your God and judgment is coming. But as we look at the sins of Eli and God's judgment, we look later and we see Saul and his sins in God's judgment, that actually brings into greater relief the grace-empowered faithfulness of Samuel now and later David. It makes their faithfulness all the more clear. There's also another sense that this is a fitting message for Samuel's ministry. At the very beginning, because God is preparing Israel for a new era. He's, provide, he's doing this by providing his new prophet, and he's also doing this by removing his false servants. God wants both Samuel and Eli to know that he is doing something new, and he's doing something memorable as he brings judgment on Eli, and as he shows grace to Samuel and the rest of Israel. This is a new era a new era of judgment, but also of hope. Now, with a message like that, uh, we can understand verse 15. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli what God told him. But God, through Eli, teaches Samuel another valuable lesson about being God's chosen servant. Now, remember, Eli has already taught Samuel how to listen to God. And now Eli teaches Samuel to speak faithfully for God. Eli actually puts Samuel under a curse in verse 17 if he doesn't say everything from the vision. This is the calling of every prophet from Samuel onward to faithfully speak God's word no matter the content and no matter the cost. We know from the New Testament in particular that later prophets were killed for being faithful to God's word. You can look at what Jesus says in Matthew 23, or remember Stephen's speech in Acts 7, which of the prophets did you not persecute? Which did you not kill? Samuel is learning from the very beginning that he must speak God's word no matter the consequences. But as Samuel speaks, and as Samuel speaks God's word, God establishes him as his prophet. We see in the final verse of the verses of this passage that Samuel is the promised prophet of the Lord. Look at verses 19 to 21. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. The silence of verse 1 is now dramatically reversed. God has provided his people with a prophet. And none of Samuel's words were false. So now every Israelite from Dan to Beersheba, every single one, knew that Samuel was God's faithful prophet. Now Samuel is just the first in a long line of Old Testament prophets 
And as the first, he marks a new era in redemptive history for Israel when God provides many prophets now to lead and to correct his people. And this new era is a fulfillment of God's promise to Israel way back in the time of Moses. We read about God's promise in Deuteronomy 18. God promises to send his people a prophet like Moses to speak to them for him. You look at Deuteronomy 18. At first, it sounds like God is just speaking of one prophet like Moses. But it becomes clear at the end of that passage that God will actually send many prophets along the way to speak to his people. And Samuel is the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy. Notice also that the Lord appears to his prophet in his place of worship at Shiloh. It is no accident that that is where the Lord continues to appear to Samuel, at Shiloh where he is worshipped. We saw earlier the significance of the ark, the significance of God's presence with his people. We saw the significance in the initial calling of Samuel. There is hope for his people because God is still present and God will still speak. And now in Samuel, the people of Israel have access to God and his word again. God speaks to his people in the place of worship where he has promised to dwell. This is a fulfillment of the covenant. God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the covenant being played out as God meets his people through his word coming to them in Samuel. God is faithful to his promise to lead and guide them through his word. Things look great for Israel at the end of chapter 3. Israel is in such a better place now than they were in verse 1. They're even in a better place with Eli and his sons still remaining at Shiloh. They're in a better place because they now have a prophet. They have a prophet and God speaks regularly through them. In fact, the people of Israel are in a much better place because they need God's word. And they need God's prophet and God has met their need. They might not even realize how much that they needed Samuel to speak for God. They might not even realize how hungry they were for God's word. But God knows and God has acted to bless them through Samuel. So Israel is in a much better place. The hope that is building through these chapters is getting higher and higher. Now, if Samuel is the first in the line of God's prophets, promised prophets, who's the last prophet? I think we all know the answer. It's Jesus Christ. He is that promised prophet from Deuteronomy 18. Look at how the New Testament describes Jesus. The opening of the book of Hebrews puts it so well. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. As you hear those words, you see Jesus is greater than any prophet. He's greater than Moses and Samuel. He's greater than Elijah and Isaiah. He is greater because he is God's son. 
the author of Hebrews goes on to say he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is God's son and he is God's word. Think about how John describes Jesus through his gospel. He is the word incarnate. He is the final full revelation of God himself to his people. And we can see immediately how Jesus' revelation then of God's will is far superior to anything that's come before him. Far superior to what any other prophet could do because of who Jesus is. By his very nature, he is superior in the message that he brings. Jesus the great prophet, the great word of God is a great encouragement for us as believers living in the New Testament because our need for God's word and God's prophet remains the same. Think about what God was teaching the people in the wilderness through Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He did all these things that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That was true for Israel in the wilderness. That was true for Israel in the time of Samuel. And that is true for us now. We live only by the word of God. And how much more of God's word do we have now? We have the complete revelation of God in Christ. We have all we need in the scriptures. And God hasn't just given us the scriptures. He's also given us his spirit. Christ has poured out, poured out in abundance, his spirit to do what? To lead us into all truth. We have the promise of Christ himself that we will learn and live more and more according to God's word, given in Christ and applied by the spirit. How does Christ speak today through his word? How does Christ speak to you and to me in his word? Have you thought about that? Christ speaks powerfully through his word by his spirit. He speaks to us when we read his word by ourselves. He speaks to us as we share the word among ourselves. But Christ speaks especially powerfully through the preached word. Faithful sermons that are driven into your heart by the Spirit are Christ proclaiming and applying His Word to you. There is nothing that replaces God's Word preached. And as we sit Sunday by Sunday, especially Sunday by Sunday, listening to God's words being delivered by Christ through his man applied by his spirit, remember that we can trust all of Christ's words. Christ is the perfect prophet. Not a single word that he has said will fall to the ground. And all that he said in his word will come to pass. Let me apply that to what Christ himself has told us. Remember that like Samuel, Jesus also speaks of judgment. 
He speaks very clearly about judgment. Think of what he says in Matthew 25. He promises that he himself will be the king who is coming to judge the living and the dead, that sinners outside of Christ will face hell, the wrath of God forever, unless they repent. Those words are true. Christ the prophet, the word of God, does not lie. But just as surely as Christ speaks words of judgment, he speaks words of salvation. He speaks words of hope and assurance. There is the promise of eternal life to everyone who will believe. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. John 5, 24. Or what about the promise of God bringing his people to himself and the love that they will experience? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 6, 37. Those are just a few of the direct promises of Jesus from one book of the Bible, from the book of John. The promises of salvation are throughout all of Scripture, and they can be completely relied on and proclaimed because they are God's very own words to us. So we think about Samuel, and we think about Christ and what he is doing for us as the Word. I want to encourage us with this application. Rely on the Word of God. There is no substitute for God's Word. Rely on the Word of God. So we think about our life as a church, a healthy church, a growing church, an evangelistic church, a loving church, a faithful church, is a church where God's Word is loved, proclaimed, and followed. That's non-negotiable. That is how God blesses his people, through his word. The word of God is central to our life. As Peninsula Reformed Presbyterian Church, I'm not telling you something new, but I'm encouraging you that this is good and right. Think about our worship. God's word informs the shape of our worship, and God's word is the content of our worship. I know I've said this before, but I want you to hear it again. Scripture is what we need. Scripture is in our prayers. It's in our songs. Our worship has faithful Bible readings and sermons that are taken from Scripture, not just man's word, but God's word is what we need all through our worship of God. And we do this because we recognize how much we need God's word together and because we recognize that this is exactly how God works in us by his word through his spirit. We also need Christ to continue to speak in us by his word and spirit. None of us have prophetic visions like Samuel, but we don't need them. We have Christ. We have the word of God. We have something so much better, but we still continue to need Christ, his prophet, to speak. And he does speak powerfully. That shapes our prayers. That shapes our prayers as we prepare to hear from him day by day in our own private devotions as we come to worship. That shapes our prayers that we are begging and pleading with him to do a powerful work through his word in our lives. 
and expecting Christ to speak powerfully. That shapes what we want. That shapes our attitudes. There is no replacement. There is nothing that is going to be better than hearing from Christ. That whets our appetite to come day by day, to be found in God's word, to come week by week, to be shaped by his word. In the Christian life and as a church, there is no replacement for the word of God. And we come to Christ as his people with humility to be taught and to be led. And he will continue to teach us. There's at least one more thing we can say as we rely on God's word. We rely on Christ speaking to us, but we also need to rely on Christ speaking through us to others. We need to speak faithfully for Christ. You know, we talk about the Reformation recovering the priesthood of all believers, and that's true, that we can speak directly to God. But also what those men realized is there's also a prophethood of all believers. You and I have the responsibility and the privilege to speak Christ's words. I speak as a minister. I speak as his chosen messenger. But all of us are prophets, maybe small p, but we are speaking Christ's words to one another. And as we speak, again, we speak with confidence because we know that Christ will bless his truth. Christ will work through his word as it goes forth into the life of your fellow believers. Your brothers and sisters here speak the truth in love to them. But also know that God in Christ through you is speaking to a world that desperately needs to hear his word. It is an amazing privilege to be able to speak Christ's word and to see his work go forth. It's also a great responsibility that we all have, but we do this with confidence. We come to worship with confidence. We speak to our neighbors and friends with confidence because this is Christ's word and Christ's work. It's not up to us. He is going to do it because this is what he always does. He always speaks through his word and his spirit. So we, as we finish here, just think. Think about what Samuel represented for Israel. Like I said, Samuel, he marked a new era in God's revelation and God's relationship with his church. Something was new. Something was different. Israel, God's people, finally had a prophet who would speak the whole counsel of God to them. He'd hold nothing back, and he would lead them in following his will. In Christ, we are now in a new and fuller era of God's revelation and relationship with his church. As we finish, I want to encourage you, rejoice. Rejoice in the fullness of what we have in Christ. And pray that God would graciously make his word the driving force of our lives and of our life as a church. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would make it our firm conviction that there is nothing that we need more than to hear your word. We need you to speak. We need you, Jesus Christ, to continue to be our prophet. Lord, we would pray that you would give each one of us here a hunger for your word, that we would not be satisfied 
with just a little bit of your truth, but that we would seek you day after day after day, week after week after week. And Lord, that as you give us hunger, that you would be that Lord, that prophet who gives us what we need, that you will feed us. And you promise that you will feed us so abundantly through your word. You will give us everything we need for this life and for the next. And Lord, we pray boldly then that you would also use us as you do your work in us, do your work through us. Make all of us to be faithful to proclaim your word to each other, to encourage and correct, but also to proclaim your word to the lost, that they may know that you are the God who speaks truth. You are the God who speaks truth lovingly and is calling them to repentance and faith. Jesus Christ, we pray that you would do this work through your spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.